Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanlist podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Ali. Joining me as always is the Nikolos Basilashvili to my Roger Federer. And it's Mr. Michael Killett down in sunny Bournemouth. Had to think about that. Uh, yeah, but Bournemouth is actually quite sunny today. It's been raining all week, uh, but you're not actually wrong saying that. Um, yeah, no, it's been been a good week of tennis. Looking forward to talking about it. The return of of Roger Federer, always big news, um, and and some really good stories to talk about this week. So we're going to start in uh, Qatar, in, in Doha, a tournament that Roberto Bautista Agut loves and is proving that yet again on the court. But we are going to start with the former world number one who's recently lost his record, actually, of, of, of uh, total amount of weeks at, uh, at the summit of the ATP rankings to Novak Djokovic. But Roger Federer returned to the courts this week. Uh, he got an enthralling win over Dan Evans in the, in the second round, his first match, of course, after receiving a bye in the first, and then went out to Nikolos Basilashvili in three sets. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll give my take after Michael's rubbing his chin, I think, ready to unload on uh, on your take on, on Roger Federer's return to the court. I think that the Evans wins certainly a decent one that we both thought he'd lose. Um, and then maybe he lost a match that we didn't think he would. Um, classic tennis. What, what, what are your thoughts? The rubbing of the chin is just a bad habit, to be honest. Um, I thought Federer was uh, really, really good, really impressive. Uh, that match against Dan Evans, you know, I, I think some people who didn't watch the match would maybe look at it, see that Federer has gone out to Basil Ashbury and maybe think it's a disappointing result for Evans. But I mean, that's far from the truth. Dan Evans uh, was fantastic in this match. It was possibly one of the best performances I've seen Dan Evans put out on a tennis court. And that's, I, I don't think that's an overstatement. I, I think he played really, really well. And Federer just, Federer, it's just amazing how someone can just almost just seem to turn the hands of time back so easily. You know, don't get me wrong, obviously it wasn't like watching him at sort of prime Wimbledon or whatever, because, you know, it's it's a 250 tournament in Doha and it's his first tournament back. But he was still moving really well. Um, the, the sort of majestic backhand shots you see him hit, he was sort of smashing down. I think that on, on the winner, uh, I, I think from memory, it's just a fantastic backhand down the line winner. And I think... Um, he was he was fantastic, Federer. He said after the match that he, he'd felt all right against Evans. I think he was still a little bit worried about his um sort of fitness going into the next match, which I think maybe did show a little bit against Basil Ashford. He said afterwards that he felt pretty uh, pretty rough after that win um, against Evans. Um, sorry, uh, after that loss against Basil Ashford, after that he said that he he felt quite rough. Obviously, had the match point. Um, not one that he, he should have won. It, it was a good serve from Basil Ashbury and, and sort of took control of the point straight away. But um, yeah, you know, he, he is looking good. Don't get me wrong. He, he's looking much better than I was expecting. When I saw he was playing Evans in the second round, although Evans had never won a set off of him before, which obviously he's, he's changed now, I, I, I didn't really give Federer... I, I, would, de I would definitely have given him a chance, but I just didn't think we'd be seeing that Federer. And if I knew how well Dan Evans was going to play, uh, I, I, I wouldn't have given 
Federer much of a chance at all. So, um, yeah, really impressed with Federer. I believe he was going to be playing Dubai next week, but I think he's out of that now. I think he, I don't know if he's pulled out. Um, I, I think he, I, I might have seen that he's pulled out. So further down the line, we'll um, we'll see when he comes back. Obviously, there's a Masters tournament in a couple of weeks. Potentially, we'll see him at that. I'm not sure of his uh, schedule, but um. Yeah, but fantastic, I think, from Federer. A really, really good return, despite the loss in, in the quarterfinal. Yeah, I have to agree. I, th- I think it definitely was a, a positive return. Um, he, he still has the, the strokes, you know. He's never going to lose that. I mean, it was classic Federer. A lot of the points against Evans, you know, the Brit was playing so well and Federer looks out of position. And even if he can't get the timing on a shot, I mean, his slice backhand it is incredible. Um, you know, you can really pin it right on the baseline, even when he's on the defensive in the point. Um, and at his age now, when he hasn't got the maybe agility or the physical uh, attributes that some of the other players on tour do, that's such a good skill for him to have to just, um, I don't know, just, just get rid of his disadvantage in the point by playing a shot so deep when he's only just got there. Um, you know, his defensive game is really solid and, and I think he'll need it if he wants to, achieve maybe what he sets his sights on coming back into the game I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that is I don't think he'll have too high expectations of himself um, but definitely producing a, a consistent high level and and I think um, giving back to the fans is something that he enjoys a lot um, yeah he spoke brilliantly of, after both matches um, and I think the loss to Basim Lashvili may have come a little bit due to just lack of match fitness match sharpness um, he did fall away, obviously lost the second set 6-1 and then was fighting hard in, in the third. But the Georgian definitely had it over him physically um, and obviously in the end was able to clinch that win. Um, so so moving on to the final, which Nikolas Basilashvili is a real shock to find himself in. Uh, he's won four matches this week against John Milman, Malik Jaziri, the wildcard, Federer, of course, and Taylor Fritz. Now, Nikolas Basilashvili really fell off a a cliff in terms of his form last year. You know, he he was inside the top 20 not so long ago um, and then went on a massive losing streak, which continued a little bit. The the poor form has continued up to this week in so far in the the early exchanges of this season. He's currently world number 42, but that is due to the new ranking system. I think he'd probably be outside the top 100. I mean, obviously, he hasn't had the chance to defend his points, but if he carried on that form and, and we didn't have the COVID enforced break uh, last year, so it is really, really impressive from him. He's had his off court issues in in the last year, but on court, you know, it's, it's definitely positive to see a player who we know has the ability to be able to to bring that back. Um, we'll move on to his opponent a little bit later uh, in Roberto Bautista, who's pulled off some epic wins this week. But just firstly, you know those. Four wins for me. The one against Fritz, who was who was playing well, stands out as as well as the one against Federer. Um, you know, it has been very impressive form on the hard courts from Basilashvili. Yeah, very impressive considering the the run that he had been on um, since pretty much the the pandemic started. I think um, you know the the first couple of rounds are matches that I mean Milman I would have said maybe was a bit of a, a 50-50. Obviously it was a close match, but Milman's not been on on the greatest form of recent. Malik Jaziri I think is quite a kind second match to get. Uh, I, I think 
he received a wild card into the tournament. Um, and then obviously we chat about the one one with Federer. So, uh, but then, yeah, if, for sure, Fritz is definitely the one that stands out. 7-6-6-1. Um, so relatively comfortable against, uh, as you say, a player who was playing really well at the tournament with wins against uh, Senego and Shapovalov. So, um, yeah, I, I think a, a really impressive and encouraging week for Nikolas Bazalashvili. I know, obviously, we'll We'll go on to talk about Batista good in a sec, but uh, I think for him to pull off a win today in the final would be uh, definitely the biggest of those wins for sure. And and the one for me that I, I don't think he will be able to pull off. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. It is good to see him playing well. I mean, he, he's someone who is quite suited to a clay court and, and to see him coming back and, and getting some wins on, on the hard court is, is, is very impressive, especially in, in, in a tournament like Doha. But, but as you say, I think, um, you know, it's a tournament Batista Good loves and I, I don't think we can expect to see Bazalash really uh, winning, winning his fourth title um, today. Yeah, um, the Spaniard definitely comes in as the favourite and probably one of the you know, the, the highest level of, of tennis that we've seen on, on the tour this week has been coming from Roberto Bautista of Gutt. Um, it, makes, it makes me think how long he can sustain it for. I think he turns 33 in the next month or so. But really some incredible wins. It has been a joy to watch. I think, you know, we've spoken in previous episodes that we are very fond of, of Bautista of Gutt and, you know, his, his style makes for some great rallies and, and some really good matches. But it's, it's been a tough run to the final and, Definitely one that I didn't expect him to. I think, I'm not sure. I, I think we both picked him to get to the quarterfinal and then uh, lose to, or maybe you you add him to the semifinal. Um, yeah, obviously, yeah, I, I had him to lose to Dominic team, And uh, yeah, you had him to lose to Rublev in, in yesterday's match. But in the first round, he had Riley Opelka, which in terms of physical stature, it's quite a difficult match. You know, Opelka is obviously going to have a lot more power um, and Bautista are good, and he also dropped the first set in that match, but was able to work him out and, and, and grind the American down. I definitely expected him to have too much for Alexander Bublik, um, just mentally. I think tactics wise, RBA could uh, ex- exploit a, a player like that. But the team win for me came out of nowhere. Um, I, I know team hasn't been outstanding at this sort of level of event in the last couple of years, you know, he tends to bring his A game at the bigger tournaments, but still this was outstanding. You know, they went into that deciding set team, having won the second set 6-2 to level the match. So you'd have to say the momentum was with him, you know, the double break in that second set. But the, the composure and, and calmness on court from Bautista, I think he went a break up quite early in that deciding set and he was holding his serve comfortably, which isn't a huge serve, you know. He, often he can re- rely on his return game, maybe winning a set with two breaks, having, having lost one of his own. Um, so that really was an eye-catching win and a, a brilliant, brilliant match. But yesterday's match, against, win against Andre Rublev, is honestly like mind-blowing for me. I mean, Rublev had that nice two walkovers to get into the semi-final. Um, Gasquet and Fuchovitz, it was, he pulled out against him. So, so, you know, he hadn't played since Rotterdam final last week. So, he should, I mean, he should have been really fresh. But Bautista blew him away in the end. Um, you know, really, really outstanding. Rublev 
not a player who, you know, his fitness was fine, physically he was fine, he was still hitting some great shots and did have some openings against Espanyol. But how Baltistura Gut can just win that match after the absolute marathon against Dominic Team, I think it was well over two and a half hours just the day before. Um, you know, is is really, really stunning at the age of 32. Um and yeah, I I'd be a bit gutted if he, if he can't go on to lift the title now. Um, yeah, what what have you made of it? It's been some of the best tennis I've seen at 250 level in a long time. Yeah, I think he's been really, really fantastic about Tito. He's a real trooper. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who hasn't maybe got the physical attributes of some players, as you say, Opelka, you know, is he, he, you get a lot of players on tour now very big, very strong, uh, can really rely on that serve. Bautista, I, I don't know his height, but I think he's probably under six foot, um, maybe five, five nine, five ten, five eleven, somewhere in that bracket, um, which is very small for a tennis player. Um, you know, he's, he, obviously we have got the likes of uh, Diego Schwartzman on tour, but, um, you know, Bautista, for me, is, is probably just off the top of my head is maybe the second or third smallest of those sort of top 20, 30 players. And it's, it's fantastic how he plays. I remember seeing him get to the semi-final at Wimbledon, uh, the last uh, Wimbledon that was played in, in 2019, uh, even missed his stag do for that one, which is a, a story that I love. All his stags came along to uh, watch it, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think the guy is, is phenomenal. Um, he, he's so talented and, it's a shame in a way, I think. Um, he, he might go down as one of those players who kind of was was there, but not quite there in the sense that, um, you know, he did get very close. Uh, I don't know, has Batista been top 10? I don't think he has. Uh, might have been 10. Yeah, that counts yeah, as top um, 10. I think he might have had 10 rank, ranking. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I think... Career high of yeah, nine. So, career high of nine, OK, nine. yeah. Um, you know, he's he's never quite, um, you know, really, really got into those top players. But he's he's shown on more than one occasion uh, that he can beat those top guys. You say it was a tough run to this final. Um, this is really what gets me. When he won Doha in 2018, the last time he played it, uh, en route to that final, he beat Stan Ravrinka, Novak Djokovic, and then Thomas Burdich in the final. You know, three players who I'm presuming at that point were all top eight maybe and Burdich might have just dropped out at that point in 2018 but um, you know definitely all players that would have been ranked above Bautista Agu at that time um, so you know he, he's, he's such a he, he's such a trooper I, I think I've used that word for him for quite a few times now and um, yeah he hasn't actually won a title since that Doha title at the beginning of uh, 2018 I believe it was um, or 2019, I'm not sure if I've written the year down wrong there, but, um, you know, it's a little while since uh, he has won a title. Um, so I think he'll be really hungry to win today. Looking at that uh, backlog of matches that he's had, you'd possibly say Basil Ashwedi on paper before the tournament would have been seen as the most winnable one. Um, Opelka and Bublik, I maybe would have said before the tournament, would have been tougher matches. Um, and certainly team of Rublev. So I think really he's, he's got to win this one. Um, he's got a free one head-to-head against Basilashvili. Uh, their last meeting coming last year in Hamburg uh, when RBA won at 6-4-6-3. And actually what I, I noticed when I was doing my research for this, at that point, 2020 Hamburg, uh, 
Vazilashvili, sorry, had won that tournament the two years before. He won it in 2018 and 2019. So Batista beating the um, the two-time reigning champion there. Um, but yeah, I mean, head-to-head wise, you know, how well they're playing wise, I, I really don't see how it's going to be a problem for Batista Grud today. And I think I'll, I'll stick a prediction on it now. I would say, um, I would say straight sets, Batista Grud. I think it's maybe a little bit more complicated than that. And I can't get away from the time that Bautista Rigut has spent on court this week. Um, I know it's only a three-set format, but I do think that still plays a factor. He's probably still a bit sore off the loss to David Goffin in the Montpellier final a couple of weeks ago, which I know we expected him to take the crown there. Um, so I'm going to go for Bautista Rigut in three sets. Um I think Basil Ashville is playing some really good tennis. Uh, he does look back to his best. This is the Basil Ashville of old. Um, so, you know, Basil Ashville, although he's uh, beaten Federer, of course, doesn't have the wins on, on paper that Bautista Agut does this week. So, yeah, I'm going to have to stick with the Spaniard and go for uh, two sets to one win in that one. Uh, just three players that we wanted to touch upon that have had quite Good weeks. Um, for me, first up, it's Marton Fuchovic once again, uh, the qualifier to the final of, of Rotterdam last week. And I think he played on, so, so he played the Rotterdam final on the Sunday, and I'm pretty sure he played in Doha straight away on Monday, possibly Tuesday. Um, we, but he had a tricky match against Dusan Lajevic first round, managed to win that one in straights, and then beat Lloyd Harris, of course, the victor of Stan Vavrenka in this tournament in the second round. He pulled out of what would have been a quarterfinal um, reunion against Andre Rublev, who, of course, he played in the final in Holland. Um, but, yeah, just a really impressive winter. A couple of wins to just keep himself tipping, ticking over, um, you know, boosting that ranking a little bit. It might go up a couple of places, maybe just one, uh, having gone from 59 to 46. Um, so, yeah, I think it just proves that, you know, he, he can... Uh, he can sustain it week in, week out, and I expect him to to continue this form wherever he plays in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, as um, I, I gave him a lot of praise on the last pod, uh, a player I've always rated. Really pleased to see him coming back this week and, and playing really well. You know, I think we both had him to go out to do Zanlajevic in the first round. That's by far a, a really hard match. He he beat uh, Daniel Medvedev just a couple of weeks ago, Dusan Lajevic. Um, so it might have been last week, actually. So, um, yeah, that, that's a fantastic win. And Lloyd George Harris, obviously, getting a win against uh, Ravrinka, who I think we're going to talk about Ravrinka a little bit in a sec. But, um, yeah, just just really, really impressive from him. Um, obviously, pulled out of the Rublev match. I, I still find it really funny how Rublev got two back-to-back walkover wins. I, I can't remember that happening to a player before. I'm sure it has. Uh, and he was in a situation, Rublev, where if he'd beaten Batista Agu and, uh, and then Basil Ashbili in the final, he would have ended up winning a title with just two wins, uh, which would have been quite amusing. So even though I had Rublev to win the title, I'm quite pleased that... Uh, RBA got the win against him, having probably earned his way to the final a, a lot more, uh, with no discredit to Rublev, was the hand that he was given. Um, but yeah, no, great, great performances from uh, Martin Fusevitz, and um, I'm, you know, I'm hoping he'll have a week off next week, and then ahead of that Masters tournament, obviously, we don't know what the draw will be, but um, we, we saw obviously last week that uh, he's more than capable of making a good run into a big tournament. 
Yeah, definitely a threat. And uh, as maybe you often say, a huge banana skin for a, for a top player. Um, yeah, definitely expecting some, some continued good fortunes for the Hungarian. Uh, the next player we're going to move on to is the semi-finalist, Taylor Fritz, the uh, US number two, I believe. Um, got for a tricky first round match against Lorenzo Sonego, uh, then beat David Goffin, who's had some, well, he won the Montpellier title. So you've got to say he's, he's had a good start to the year. And then Denis Shapovalov, albeit with some uh, physical issues for the Canadian in that match, but he managed to grind it out 7-5, I think it was, in, in the last set. So, you know, some impressive grit and determination there. I don't want to uh, give some backhanded compliments, but I definitely was quite frustrated not to see Fritz kick on and beat Basilashvili in, in the semi-final at 23. He feels like he's stuttering a little bit and players that I maybe had on par with Fritz have gone further than him in the last couple of years. I think he's one of the inaugural uh, next-gen finals players. And, you know, in that uh, event, you had the likes of uh, Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Denis Shapovalov as well. Um, And in terms of ranking and consistency, Fritz hasn't really come anywhere near those players or to what I'd expect. I, I, I think he should be a player in the top 25 um, if he's a consistent player. Um, you know, he's at 33, so he's not too far off and he does have time. But I don't know, with with his physical attributes and his, you know, the weapons that he has, he's got a good serve, good forehand. I, I don't see why he still sort of fluctuates. I think that ranking could probably be quite a bit lower if uh, it wasn't for the new ranking system. But I suppose you've got to see getting to a semi-final as progress. Um, you know, I, I did expect him to beat that Basilashvili Ash, Basil and, and and have a chance of beating Bautista a good in the final and really, really set the, his start to the season um, alight. What do you make of what's the sort of progress report from from your end of, of Taylor Fritz? There's not really much else to say. I think you you put it quite well there. Um, you that's a real wake up call actually when you say he was at the inaugural. Uh, uh, next-gen event with the likes of Medvedev and Shapovalov. It, you know, yeah, it, it's a bit of a shame to see him. Um, yeah, I, I just can't really... I think the, the biggest... The, maybe the biggest disappointing thing I have about Fritz is the fact that I can't really think of much to say about him. I I, I can't really think of any sort of big big streaks that he's gone on perhaps I'm missing something something big here maybe he has had a big win at some point but I just feel like in in the last year he's potentially just sort of slipped into sort of a a bit of a void where I've just kind of not thought about him a lot um I I definitely did watch him uh play at the Australian Open I can't remember who that was against um it might have been Djokovic, actually. Uh, I feel like he was against one of the bigger players at the Australian Open. Yeah, I think yeah, Marcus is nodding. Um, but um, and, and I think he played quite well in that match from memory. But um, yeah, I, there's, there's not really a lot I can say on Taylor Fritz. To be honest, he's got a lot of time now, and the the potential that he has is no doubt clear. So um, you know, I think if if he's still sort of doing what he's doing in a couple of years' time, then I would be a little bit worried. But I guess. You know, 23 years old players do develop at, at different times in their career. Um, ask Aslan Karatsev. Um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe I don't want to jump the, the gun a bit too much. Uh, but, yeah, he, he does maybe need to start having a couple more big runs if he wants to progress, I think. 
And moving on to probably the major first round departure that we saw at this tournament, and it was Stan Vavrenka losing to the South African, don't know if I can call him a young gun. Yeah, probably he's in his early 20s, Lloyd Harris. Um, Stan Vavrenka lost this one in three sets, but it was nowhere near the Stan Vavrenka that we know and love. Uh, he's 35 now, he'll be 36 by the end of this month. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not in as much detail as maybe Taylor Fritz, but it's harder to see what the what the future holds for Stan now. It's been a poor start for the year for him. I think that the main match that I remember him putting some sort of vintage form together that sticks out in my memory is when he dismantled Andy Murray at the French Open last year. And I think I'm I'm falling towards saying that Stan is a major clay quarter now. <laughs> uh, I don't think he can match his level on a clay court as in, uh, in, in, in the indoor or outdoor hard courts or on the grass. Um, you know, it's probably a little, you know, the game's slower, which I think suits Stan. Um, and obviously we're trying to, trying to see what we expect from him, what we can, what we can hope to see, you know, at the age of 35, you know, he probably doesn't, you know, he won't have too many seasons left on the tour. And I think I'm coming to the conclusion that I, I see him turning up at the French open and then that's his main sort of um, hope of, of putting a decent run together on the tour. I think, you know, he's had success at maybe Monte Carlo, Madrid masters in the past. I think those sorts of tournaments, he might be able to, um, just yeah put decent runs together having managed his body well before those events but for me he's definitely not a player that can mix it week in week out on the ATP tour anymore specifically on the hard courts um so yeah I am more one-dimensionally looking at him as a as a player who can be a threat at big tournaments on a clay court but I don't think he can sustain certainly his ranking I think he's just inside the top 20 um, for much longer on on, on these, these hard-court events. Yeah, current ranking is is 20. Um, you know, there's no doubting, uh, sorry, there's no um, the denying and understating uh, the, the brilliant career that Stan has had. He's won three Grand Slams, all from sort of the point of not being expected to be anywhere near winning them. Um, you know, I think the, the one... That really stands out. I, I wasn't able to watch this tournament as it was on uh, for various reasons, but um, just watching the sort of um, repeats and, and, and replays of matches when uh, he won that French Open in 2015, it was just outstanding tennis from him. Um, it, he, he took Djokovic's chance really to win the French. I know Djokovic did go on and win it, I think, the following year when he beat Andy Murray, but. Um, you know, it, it just amazing uh, tennis, as was the Australian Open the year before that. Um, but yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Um, he's not looking great. I, I don't know if he he's going to worry about it too much. He, he's always seemed like quite a chill guy, kind of happy doing what he what he what he does. And I think, like you say, I I think he's still definitely a big threat at, at tournaments. I feel like we will see another big run from Stan at some point this year, whether all of the other side of those tournaments he's been going out in first and second rounds. I still feel like maybe at a clay court masters or possibly the French, we could see him going really deep um, because I, I think that sort of quality that he has, 
I'm not sure if that really depends on on form. Well, it doesn't depend on form. You know, he's won everything he's won. He's won off the back of nothing, essentially. Um, winning all three of those Grand Slams, he won over a year after the other. You know, the the it was sort of 15 months between each one, I think. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I definitely think he's still going to be a threat, but um, I, I have to agree with you. I, I don't think he's going to be around for too much longer. Um, it's a shame that we never really saw him go really deep into Wimbledon. He twice made a quarterfinal at Wimbledon, but um, in comparison to the other slams, which is all one, it, it would have been nice to see him go far at Wimbledon. But I think, like you said, he's not a grass court player, and I think maybe now you can maybe box him a little bit as a, as a clay quarter. Yeah, definitely a player to uh, in, enjoy while we can the fading fortunes of Stan Varenka. That concludes our verdict on Doha at the moment. Um, really excited for that final. But yeah, now just to move um, back to Europe in Marseille. Um, the top seed, Daniil Medvedev, has made it through to the semi-final despite Michael Gillett's face in young, young Yannick Sinner. Uh, Daniil Medvedev will play... Surprise semi-finalist Matthew Ebden, the world number 287, uh, 33-year-old Australian player who we have seen on the tour in the, in the top 50 for quite consistently, but um, maybe around two years ago, uh, sort of prioritised doubles a bit more and played less and less singles, really, but he's getting back into it and he's had a good run to that semi-final. The second semi-final is Ugo and Bear. And he takes on also one of the surprise packages of the tournament in Pierre Uguez Ebert. Um, we'll move on to that later. Let's start with the top semi Daniil Medvedev has been impressive, really, considering the poor loss to Dusan Lajevic. Couldn't really get any worse. Um, but hasn't dropped a set in beating Igor Grasimov and Yannick Sinner. And uh, Ebden, of course, came through qualifying in this event, won two matches there then beat Bonzi, um, the French player, Emil Roussevori, the young Finland uh, player, <laughs> Finnish player, and then the main scalp really beating Karen Hatchinov in, in the quarterfinal. Um, a real surprise to see him here. Um, you know, he, he has quite a good style. I, I wouldn't say he's too dissimilar from Alex Dimonor uh, at his best, um, but, you know, his best is very few and far between at the moment, so... A, a big surprise in the semi-final. Um, I'll leave my prediction for after your um, opinion on on this matchup. But you know, Daniil Medvedev will be coming in as very strong favourite. Yeah, for sure. I feel like Matthew Ebden's sort of a name that kind of just pops up every now and then. But I don't really see him playing all year round. I don't know how much he plays on the challenge at all. Maybe I miss miss his name a bit, but I just kind of feel he pops up at a 250 every now and then, and I'm not really sure if he ever plays on the challenge at all. Um, might be wrong on that. I'm assuming he's missed quite a bit of tennis recently, because it did surprise me when I saw he was as low as 287th, but then he did say he seems to be prioritising doubles a bit. Um, I was surprised to see that uh, Ebden is not actually gunning for his first uh, final. He made the final of Newport on the grass courts in uh, 2017 when he lost to Isner, um, which I suppose when you've been as high as sort of, I think, 39 in the world is his career high. Um, you know, I guess you, you you would expect someone to have made a final. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I don't think we can give them too much hope in this. Medvedev has looked very good, uh, a very convincing win against Yannick Sinner uh, and an Igor Grasimov, who's looked quite good since that Australian Open defeat to Karatsev. Um, Medvedev was a top seed at this tournament last year, but um, had a, a disappointing uh, thrashing, actually, to the hands of Gilles Simon in the quarterfinal, 6-4-6-love. Uh, six, six, um, but I don't think we can read into that too much. He's, he'd be going for a 10th title this week. That's double, you know, double figures for titles. Medvedev at only 24, 25 uh, years old. So, you know, that that 10 titles is is really, really outstanding. Um, and the final's going to be tough. Uh, we'll go on and, and talk about that semi-final. But with no disrespect to Matthew Ebden, I, I can't really see... Medvedev not winning this in, in straight sets, to be honest. Yeah, quite a straightforward pick, I think, this one. Yeah, huge favourite for the Russian. Uh, yeah, straight sets for me too, for Daniil Medvedev. The second quarter final, I'd probably expect to be much more competitive. Competitive, I think, for the reputation of this podcast, we've gone big on Ugo and Bear in the early exchanges of the season to mixed success. So I'd, I'd, I'd definitely want him to at least get through to the final and and set up what would be an intriguing match with Medvedev should it come to pass. Um, but he plays, his opponent, Hebert, has had some outstanding wins in this in this tournament. I had him to go out in the first round to Kane Ishikori. He got that win. Then he beat the Brit Cameron Norrie. And then the biggest surprise, um, one of the shocks, probably the shock of the tournament, he beat Stefanos Tsitsipas yesterday, a player that we both predicted to win the tournament. So... He has an interesting serve and volley style, um, which I I find quite quite entertaining to watch. You know, he mixes it up quite a lot. Does does like coming to the net, does Ebert? Um, and yeah, against Umber, you know, similar sound in French names. I'm sure, the commentators are going to love this one. Uh, who's beaten Joe Wilfred Songer and Arthur Rindenek, which was quite a tough match. He came through a deciding set tiebreak, so he really had to work for that win in the quarterfinal. Um, it's a bit of a tricky one for me. I think Umber is 2-0 up on, on the head-to-head record, but it's definitely... Umber's one of those players, you know, if you get him on a good day, he can he can beat probably most players on the tour, um, especially at 250 level. He's a really dangerous player. And yeah, that, that serve could be a tricky one for Umber. I think he's probably going to have to grind this one out and really earn his place in the final if he is to get the win. Those wins against Songa and Rindenek, I think it's hard to read too much into, really. Um, you'd probably have liked to see him beat Rindenek, the world number 138, in a bit more convincing fashion if you if we were to go bullish and have him bear to, to, to seal his place in the final quite simply. Um, so, yeah, this, this match is quite an interesting one. Not, not easy to, to pick a side. Yeah, I think... Um... I actually favour Herbert slightly in this one. I think his wins have been fantastic since the past. I think won this tournament um, definitely the last time uh, in 2020. I think also in 2019, uh, winning it the last two times since the past. So that's a fantastic win. I did watch some of that match, and it, I think it was a disappointing display from since the past, considering obviously the starts of the year he's had beating Rafael Nadal at the Australian. Um, he, he didn't look brilliant, but um, there's no denying Abair is uh, playing fantastically. We've seen him go on brilliant runs before at these sorts of tournaments, and I'm surprised he's ranked as low as 93rd, I think it is. Um, he's been as high as 36. So, I mean, that indicates when Umber and Abair 
<laughs> both play at their best. They're they're kind of a similar level of, of player, and I, I do think Abera has definitely uh, still got that in him. Um, he's got to three finals before um, at this level on the tour, but never actually won one. So I think Abera will really be hoping that he could get his first title here uh, this week. Obviously, the final if it's against Medvedev is is he's not going to be a favourite to win that. Um, but yeah, Umber, um, Ugo Umber, uh, hasn't looked brilliant so far in 2021. Um, losses to Shardy in Rotterdam last week. Uh, Batista Rigut in Montpellier, I think we could forgive. But the, the one, the, the real poor one, uh, losing to James Duckworth at the Murray River Open, with no disrespect to James Duckworth. Um, that's a match that Umber, who won those two titles at the back end of last year, I think uh, one was in Antwerp. I can't remember where the other one was. Um you know, or, or was Antwerp Sinner? I can't remember, but I know Umber won um, the, the two titles at the, the back end of last year and was was looking really, really promising. And I was thinking he should be pushing top 20, top 15 this year, but it's, it's been a stuttered start for him so far. And as you say, I think these two wins he's got so far can't be read too much into. Songer, obviously, he's only really just returned to the sport. Um, probably was a little bit tired after his battle with Feliciano Lopez the day before or a couple of days before. Um, and yeah, Rindeneck, not really a player I know too much about, did have a really good win against uh, Alex uh, ADF, as we call him, Alejandro Davidovic Fakina. Um, but yeah, I, I, I personally think Abair is going to win this in, uh, mm, let's go three sets, Abair. Interesting one. He's uh, Umber will come into this one as favourite. I am going to stick with our man, my man, Ugo. Um, you know, there's a reason why um, we said what we said and, and we think he can push top 15 this year. He's not in the best form, but I think, you know, grinding out wins when you're not, you know, you're not playing your best is probably the, the sign of a good player. Um, he's seven years the senior of Eber, which is quite interesting. Um, I think they both have sort of similar styles, quite well, not similar styles, but quite similar physiques. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go for him to grind this one out in, in three sets. I think he can, yeah, I think he can wear Hebert down. I think he, he can be a little one dimensional at times. Um, and although he's had an outstanding week, I think, you know, and bear playing one game fewer, Hebert doesn't often, uh, you know, play this many singles matches back to back. He hasn't had a run like this in, in in quite a while, and I think that might take its toll. But, you know, in, in terms of skill level, Umber's definitely capable of more for me. And, you know, tuning up in the head-to-head record, I think it's a, a safer pick. So I'm going to go for Umber in three sets. I think what's important to, to mention, I, I did just notice, uh, both of those wins that Umber has against Heber uh, came at a challenger level um, a couple of years ago as well. So um, I, I don't know if we can read too much into that, but yeah. Just a couple of players to heap some praise on this week. And we were both, I'm sure, delighted. I mean, the man himself was very emotional, probably, you could say, in his post-match thoughts. But Joe Wilfred Songer, at the age of 35, got his first win back on the ATP Tour. Uh, he beat Feliciano Lopez, another veteran, 39, is the Spaniard. And it was a really good match. He came back from losing the first set 6-3 to win it 6-4 and then 7-5 in the last set. So a real battle for the ages between these two, of course, then going out to Umber in the next round. But it's really good to see Songa get that first win under his belt and 
hopefully, you know, some, some good fitness and uh, he can kick on and hopefully just, I mean, hopefully we can just see him more consistently on the tour because he's a great player to watch and, you know, it's done a lot for the sport and definitely, definitely for you in particular, probably in the last sort of 10 years or so. Um, so yeah, some really good vibes watching Joe Wilfred Songa back doing what he does best. Yeah, really pleased. Obviously, you know, you know that uh, Songa, sort of my favourite tennis player, um, the whole way sort of when he was when he was at his the top of his game. Um, I'll always see him as the one that never quite got there. Um, perhaps sort of in a bracket with kind of your, your sort of Thomas Burditch sort of players. Um, unfortunate to be sort of in the sort of bracket and time that they were. Um, Songer obviously only ever made the one Grand Slam final and Australian Open, but you know, so many fantastic results. And um, it, I, I, when he didn't come back to playing last year, um, after the first lockdown, I was maybe a little bit worried that uh, we were just going to sort of see him take an early retirement because follow his social medias, he was putting loads of uh, stuff up with his wife and, and child. And it to me, it just looked like a, a guy that perhaps was just enjoying the, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he is enjoying the life of a dad uh, and, and a husband. Uh, I, I don't know if, he, if he's married, but, um, you know, he... To me, it just seemed like the someone who maybe just wouldn't come back to the sport, and he'd just say, "I'm I'm happy how I am." But it, you know, it's, it's nice to see him come back. It would be nice for him to maybe have a sort of farewell. Um, I don't know if we're going to be having fans at the French this year. I'm sure that's all just a, a bit of a working progress. Um, but um, and and I'm not saying that obviously the French this year is going to be his last tournament. I haven't heard that it's going to be. But um, it would at least be nice for him to play at least one more time uh, in front of the fans at the French Open, which ironically is a tournament he has never actually had that much success, at, even though it being his home Grand Slam. But um, yeah, I'm really pleased to see him back, and actually a very good win against Lopez, who, despite even being older than um, Songa, has shown really in the last in, in the last couple of months that he can still get some brilliant wins on, on court. I'm trying to think who it was. He came back from two sets down against uh, at the Australian Open. Name slipped me, but um, you know, a, a fantastic, fantastic player in, in Lopez. So, um, yeah, really good to see Songa grinding out that win. For some reason, Lorenzo Sonego has come into my mind for that Lopez comeback. Yeah, OK, yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> one in, in the back of the mind somewhere. But yeah, no, definitely that you bring up that point. I think, yeah, Lopez has definitely played more consistently on the tour in the last couple of years than Songa. So despite being four years older, um, match fitness-wise, you'd probably say he would have had it over the Frenchman. But, you know, Songa to come back and win it 7-5 in a deciding set is a pretty gruelling match, a, a three-set format. So, um, you know, really good to see him come through it. And uh, yeah, it should give him lots of confidence coming into the next few weeks. Uh, the second player that we're going to touch on who's done well in Marseille is Arthur Rindeneck, the 25-year-old Frenchman, uh, 138 in the rankings, as I, I've mentioned. A um, couple of wins in qualifying over Jan Vier and Maxim Cressy, which is quite a good win, 23-year-old American player, uh, quite a tricky customer to come up against in qualifying. Then he got a win that I expected him to in Mikhail Kukushkin in the first round of Kazakhstan uh, player. It, He's not having a, he's fallen away a touch. I think he's in his early 30s now and he doesn't seem to be able to produce the same level consistently that he used to. And then the real standout win against Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in the second round before putting up an outstanding fight against Ugo and Bear, of course, 
losing it in a deciding set tie break. He lost it 7-4. Um, so, yeah, some, maybe a player to look out for. Maybe he can break into that top 100 this season, but I, 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 I don't see a too high ceiling um, on Arthur Rinderneck. And uh, so, yeah, unless Michael wants to do a little piece on Rinderneck, I'll move swiftly to South America. Uh, must confess, I haven't really seen him play, so I have nothing more to add. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, he's been a solid player around the challenger and qualifying in the last few weeks, so not surprised to have him make some make some inroads on a on a two fifty level event. Uh, but as I said, we go to the Chile Open. Um, we're at the semi final stage of this one, of course, uh, the same as Marseille, and there's been some really uh, interesting matches in this one. Um, we've got the top semi-final. We've got top seed Christian Garin, the world number 22. He's taken on Daniel Alahi Galan Riveros, the Colombian um, sort of non, not ashamed to be a, a clay court specialist. I think Galan, he's had some okay results on a hardcore, but that is where he gets the bulk of his points. He's the world number 121. Uh, but it's good, been good to see Garin get some wins after struggling last week, of course, losing to Summit Nagal, which came as, came as a big shock. Uh, he's only beaten two qualifiers to make his way to this semi-final in Tabelo and Varias. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got through them comfortably. Uh, you know, he hasn't dropped a set. So he's in good shape coming into this semi-final. You've got Daniel Lahi Riveros with wins over Daniel Altmaier, who I know we both fancy to do quite well in this tournament. He came through that match in three sets. And then two good wins over some Spanish uh, clay court threats. You'd have to say in Pablo Andahar and Roberto Carbiez-Baena. Before I move on to the second semi-final, let's go with that top one then, Michael. You've got two 24-year-olds facing off, Garin Galan-Riveros. Yeah, I was quite surprised to see, actually, Galan-Riveros has never been ranked inside the top 100. I thought he would have just squeezed in at some point, but a, a career high of 115, so not actually much higher than where he is at the moment at 121, I think he said. Um both men that haven't really been in brilliant form uh, so far in 2020. Garin coming off the back of three straight losses uh, this year. And Galan Riveros has actually doubled his 2021 win tally this week. I think uh, just only having three wins this year and then getting getting that so far this, this tournament. Um, yeah, I mean... I think Garen's definitely got to be seen as the favourite considering the rankings. There's nearly 100 places between them in the rankings with Garen ranked at uh, 22nd, so 99 spaces uh, separating them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Galan Riveros has, has definitely had the, the more impressive results and, and Horin um, with that disappointing loss last week to Nagao perhaps... Um, perhaps isn't at the best of his uh, abilities at the moment. Uh, so I definitely can't write off Galan Riveros, but I, I will go for Christian Horin, but I'll, I'll go for three sets. I'll say it'll be a, a close a close one. I agree. I think he'll definitely be tested. I think Galan Riveros probably has the capability to win this match if the Chilean number one is not uh, at, at his best level. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting an interesting match. I think we'll learn about both players in this one because, yeah, it definitely should be a competitive one. And, uh, yeah, Galan Riveros, I think, yeah, could definitely push for top 100 this year. His form on the clay course and he's really risen in the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, he's proven his consistency as well. So I expect him to to get close to that this year and, yeah, make, make some progress. 
Um, the bottom quarterfinal is certainly one that I think we're less enthusiastic about, maybe. Possibly a bit harsh to say, but, uh, you know, as a champion of the younger players, we're a little bit disappointed to see 31-year-old Argentinian clay quarter versus 30-year-old Argentinian clay quarter in the semi-final. But, albeit, and you've got the 118 uh, ranked player Facundo Bagnis versus 86 in the world Federico Del Bonis. Del Bonis leads 4-3 in the head-to-head. And to be fair to the guys, they've had some excellent wins this week. Bagnis beat Marco Cecchinato in the first round, former French Open semi-finalist. Then Francis Tiafo also a decent win. I am slightly surprised to see Tiafo choosing to play these clay court events rather than the hard court uh, ones in, in Doha and Marseille. And then the real shock to me, my pick to win the tournament, Laszlo Gere falling to Facundo Bagnis in the quarterfinal. So he's doing really well. You know, the, there's no uh, no argument that he hasn't earned his place in the last four. And then Del Bonis, the favourite for this match, has beaten Jaume Munar, who's on excellent form in the first round. Then Andrej Martin in the second round, who's a, a capable player, but not one that's produced any sort of results of note in the, in the last year or so. And then he plays... Holger Vitus Nodskov Rune, he actually beat in in the quarterfinal, uh, which was a very impressive result. I think for sake of uh, easy easier pronunciation, I think we're just going to go for Holger Rune uh, because I expect us to be hopefully talking about this guy for a, um, on a on a much more regular basis as as the year progresses. Just seventeen, and he had some very impressive wins uh, this week. But we'll get onto Rune in a bit. Um, looking ahead to this semi-final, I think Dale Bonis is playing a little bit better than Bagnis. Um, Jere can sometimes throw in a, an off performance, and I feel like he might have done that, which led to him losing at the hands of the Argentinians. So I'm going to go Bagnis, but in um, sorry, I'm going to go for Dale Bonis. Sorry, but uh, in in three sets here. Um, yeah, I mean, both Del Bonis leads that uh, head-to-head 4-3. Uh, Bagnus has won their only two uh, ATP professional tour meetings with all of the others coming at a, a challenge level. But Del Bonis has two titles and two finals. I was surprised to see one of those finals coming on a hard court. I can't remember where that was. Um, and Bagnus beat Del Bonis uh, just two weeks ago, 6-4-7-5. Uh, it's hard to know his favourite for this one in my eyes. Um, Delbonis with the more titles and finals. Bagnis would be bidding for his first uh, tour final uh, to get in this. Um, yeah, I don't know, really. Um, I think there's, yeah, as you said, there's really impressive wins from both sides. Delbonis, uh, I was expecting to lose to Rune. Rune has looked very impressive, 17-year-old. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go for Bagnis in, in three. I'll go for... Um, Federico Bagnes, who I think looked quite good of late on, on the clay courts. Yeah, so two votes. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, one one vote each for each player in that one. So, yeah, I, I, I think Del Bonis has a, a better chance of winning it should he make the final. Uh, so maybe I'm basing it a little, little bit on that. But anyway, on to Holger Rune, the Danish number two. Um, this 17-year-old, ranked 410 in the world, made it all the way to quarterfinal in Santiago and for me three really impressive wins in qualifying just to get there and then winning his first two matches in the tournament he beat Oliveira an experienced uh, Portuguese player who's 
you know, a tricky customer on a clay court. Then he beat Gomez, who I think is from Ecuador, another solid player on that circuit. And Renzo Olivo, uh, former top 100 player, the Argentinian, is, yeah, not a nice player to come up against on a clay court. So to all those three wins at 17, very impressive. And then he beat Sebastian Baez in the first round, who's had some really impressive wins, a 20-year-old Argentinian player in the, in the last few uh, weeks. He beat Francisco Thurindolo in the final of a challenger, I think it was sort of two, three weeks ago, before we've obviously seen Francisco go on and have a really good run to the final last week in Buenos Aires. So another player to keep an eye on, but Varun trumped him in, in the first round and then went on to beat Benoit Paire, um, the, the second seed, who was, yeah, I, I had a little bit of luck of the draw here with Varun picking anonymous qualifier to make the quarterfinal and it ended up coming off. But, you know, small sample size, obviously, for, for now, you know, it's one week of success on the tour. But at 17, I mean, we haven't really seen anyone break out really at, at the age of 17 on, on the tour, definitely not in, in the last few years. Um, so, yeah, small sample size. So we can't really, can't really start going for any bold predictions or uh, expectations as yet, but some really exciting form from the Danish youngster. Yeah, really exciting. And although it's a small sample size, um, just looking at his 2021 so far, this is actually really impressive. Um, all of these tournaments on a hard court. So firstly showing that he's got a variety, having really good results on the clay this week. Um, but, you know, this is brilliant. He got to the final of a Futures tournament in January. The next week, he went and won a Futures uh, tournament in France, that one before being in Spain, then travelled back to Spain uh, and got to the final of um, that Futures tournament, losing to Elias, the Portuguese player, who has been quite a bit higher. So I think, you know, pretty much, I think that's three tournaments in four weeks, uh, sort of travelling around sort of Western Europe uh, and making three consecutive uh, futures finals and winning one of them. I think it's so impressive to see a 17-year-old doing that, especially with all the um, restrictions around travel at the moment, with all the, the testing that will be going on. It's been making the, the travelling for players harder. We've heard from Gilles Simon uh, talking about that recently. So, you know, for, for a 17-year-old player to be doing that is, is fantastic. And then being able to switch it up onto the clay, uh, had a free set loss to Albert Ramos in Buenos Aires. Uh, and then the, the brilliant week that he's had, it, it really shows that he's got a lot about him and not a player that I've, I've seen much of yet uh, to actually watch. But, um, you know, you'd, you'd think with those results, you, you could be hoping for, for something, I want to say big. Um, I'm not going to say he's going to go and win the French Open, but, um, you know, you, you'd be hoping to maybe see him... Uh, progress and ranked 410th at the moment I'm assuming after this week uh he'll be inside the top 300 or something I, I don't know I would expect so yeah just uh another thing to note I think maybe these these clay court events do seem a little bit less glamorous you know you've got Dominic Team, Daniil Medvedev two players inside the top four playing in Doha and Marseille but they definitely are producing these players it's a good platform for the younger players we've seen the Thurindolo brothers um, you know, Bayez, who I expected to do a lot better this week, obviously got beaten by Rumen in the first round. It's a, you know, it's throwing up some some exciting names and some exciting players to to watch. And um, yeah, they're pulling off some some great wins. Benoit Pair, I think, yeah, lost to Francisco Thurindolo last week, and now Holgerun this week, really struggling is the Frenchman. One last player just to run through. I thought a little bit of kudos should go to Alejandro Tabilo. 
23-year-old player, 168 in the world, won three matches in qualifying and then beat Kovalik in the, in the first round. So not a player I knew too much about, but had quite a successful week in his home tournament. Um, so yeah, that concludes our analysis of uh, Santiago and the three tournaments going on this week. Um, going to be some exciting finals in this one for sure. Um, so to finish off the episode, Michael, you've prepared a guess the player. Just a quick mention to uh, Britain's Liam Brody uh, in the semi-final of the challenger at the moment, actually serving to take the first set against Ilya Marchenko, who beat Andy Murray a few weeks ago in the final of the challenger. So that'll be a huge win. That'll be about a sixth, seventh, or eighth, something like that, final at a challenger level for Brody, and he still hasn't won one. Um, will be against Robin Harsay or Andres Seppi uh, if he wins this, so probably not expected to win that. But uh, yeah, kudos to him. Right, uh, guess the player. I don't think I made this one too easy. Uh, I think it'd be a good one. Uh, the first clue. I won my first ATP title in 2018. Great. Uh, probably, probably not too many players did that in 2018. Um, not sure. Doesn't really. Uh, I'm going to take a guess that it was a older player winning it for the first time rather than a a younger player that stands out. Uh, let's go for Taylor Fritz. I thought you said you were taking a guess that it was an older player. Well, not not someone that sort of burst out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's okay. the first clue. Let's let's get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's not Taylor Fritz. Not Taylor Fritz. But probably not a, a bad guess of that first clue. Um, the second clue, I am the second highest ranked player for my country. Great. Okay. Um, Serbia. Dusan Lajevic, Serbia number two. Not Dusan Lajevic, but uh, I did think after putting that clue in, you would probably sway towards Dusan Lajevic. Uh, clue number three, I am 26 years old. Okay. Gives me a little bit more to go off. 26, first all title, so they were 24 or 23 back then, so... Someone that was, yeah, high potential player. Um, but I've got no idea where this title was, so that maybe that maybe lead me a bit more in in some kind of direction. Uh, Twenty six years old now, struggling really. <laughs> Someone that age. Um, let's go for Laszlo Jerry. Uh, not Laszlo Jerry. Again, probably a, a good guess. Um, I have actually got six clues for you. I've just realised now uh, because I, I didn't make number five that easy. But uh, number four, uh, my career high is 14, which came back in 2018. But I've been outside the top 30 since October 2019. So to summarise, uh, was 14 in the world back in 2018. But since October 2019 has been outside of the top 30. Okay. Okay, that gives me something to rack my brains with. Um, 14th October 2019. But they've fallen away significantly. 26. Yeah, 14 came in. 
14 came in 2018 and then outside top 30 since 2019, October. Um, who's around the 60s or 70s now? Uh, um, 26 years old as well. This is a bit tricky. Um, hmm. 23 years old, won a title. It's the age that's thrown me probably because a lot of the names that pop into my head I can just disregard straight away. Daniil Medvedev being 25 has creeped up on me a little bit, so maybe I can try and uh, think of someone similar to that. Country's number two, um, Nick Kyrgios. Uh, no, not Nick Kyrgios, but probably not a bad guess on those clues, to be fair. Um, number five, I'm a former semi-finalist at the Australian Open. Aussie Open semi-finalist. 26 years old. Chung can't be 26. He can't be that old yet. Uh, semi-finalist. Well, I mean, this is not ringing many bells at all. Semi-finalist. That's really decent. Um, pushed them up to... Well, I, uh, they went up in October 2018, so... Probably did well for that year afterwards. Well, guessing that they made the Aussie Open semi-finals then. Uh, tricky one. 26 years old. Maybe I'm focusing too much on that. Because um, I feel like I do know the ages of players quite well, which is why I'm sort of disregarding a lot in my head. So maybe I'll just stop focusing on that so much. Semi-finalist. I don't know the year though, so thinking back, it could be, could have happened when they were really young, could have happened this year. Uh, pass, give me more clues. <laughs> okay, well, my sixth clue, uh, I, I think we'll, we'll give it to you uh, once you sort of put the piece of jigsaw together. Uh, I am a Davis Cup winner. Okay. That doesn't help me at all, to be honest. Don't, no, it definitely should help you. I don't follow it that I don't follow it that closely at all, Davis Cup. You know, you know, you know who's won it though. Oh like, right. yeah, I know this now. I think. Yeah, okay. Maybe I should have been a little bit closer when it came out former Australian Open semi-finalist. 14, yeah, okay. Yeah, now it all sinks in. Um Kyle Edmund. It is Kyle Edmund. I didn't want to put my sixth clue as I'm British because, like, it literally couldn't have been anyone else because, obviously, Dan Evans is obviously the British number one uh, and a bit older, so, yeah. Um, but I thought I thought for Kyle Edmund I made that quite tricky. Um, and, yeah, kind of a, a shame, really, what's happened to Kyle Edmund. Uh, he's still got time, um, but, you know, was, you know, to, to get that... I think that ATP Tour title... If your memory serves me correct, wasn't it just before that Australian Open when he wasn't it? I think it was one of the warm up events, uh, like a Brisbane or something. Um, I might have got that wrong. And then he made the semi final at the Aussie, and things were looking very good for him uh, then. Uh, so, yeah, shame for uh, Kyle Edmonds. 
Um, yeah, I remember him beating okay. Djokovic on a clay court um, later on that year, and mm. you know, just a really impressive win, which made me think, you know, this guy could be top ten, consistent top tenner. Um, yeah, yeah, due to fitness, probably mainly has uh, fallen away. And lack of lack of belief, I feel as well. Every time I see Edmund interviewed, he kind of just—I don't want to slate him, but he kind of just comes across as a very kind of <laughs> just not that kind of enthusiastic kind of guy and I, I, I don't know um not I don't know if we can really draw too much from that but um yeah I don't know I, I don't I do question if he if he really has the belief as well but yeah anyway uh, that was the guest player and I'll let you close the pod sure Kyle Edmund then um not a player that I expect to be seeing that much of in the next few weeks but we can hope um you know definitely a good player to watch a little bit Maybe you could draw some parallels to Thomas Burditch's game at his best. Uh, similar build, um, you know, he's solid on fair few surfaces as well. But of course, yeah, that major success being that Australian Open semi-final. Um, so yeah, that's your thought for the weekend. Um, but yeah, we look forward to discussing the results of these three tournaments and looking ahead to next week. Thanks a lot for listening and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend.